I want to start with uh, talking about arguments. You guys ever have arguments that at the time were super serious and very real, but years later you look back on it and you kind of laugh about it? And you're just like, that was really funny. Why did we get so upset about that? Uh, this week we were talking with our kids just about, you know, the arguments we had when they were little and, you know, the, the, the real, like, lively arguments we had over how many stuffed animals to have in a bed, you know, at one time, or how long to brush your teeth, or, you know, can you, uh, do you have to put on your shoes when you leave the house, or whatever. I mean, you know, at the time when these kids were three, four, and five, these were real arguments. But now we laugh about it. They're funny. Maybe you had some when you were in junior high, high school, college, that they were, like, you had these really fierce arguments, but now you, you kind of laugh at it. I remember when I was uh, in college, I was at Biola, I had a roommate. I don't even remember what happened, but he was so mad at me that he went and got my toothpaste and filled it full of root beer. Shook it up, and so when I went to brush my teeth, I had carbonated brown paste. Like, who does that? Who does that? In their mind, I, I can't imagine, was he laughing or was he like so mad? It just, you know, uh, uh, but years later, we laugh about it. It's just, it's funny. Maybe you had some of those. But maybe you had some of these arguments where even years later, like, you're not laughing about it. It, it wasn't funny. I mean, these were real, like, issues in your life. Today, we're, we're going to open up Galatians 2, and we're, we, we have this argument a conflict between Peter and Paul. And my guess is that years later, while they were friends, I don't think they were laughing about this. This was a real issue. It was intense. There was so much on the line. We're starting, uh, we're in this series in Galatians, we're a few weeks into it, uh, called Only Jesus. And we're looking at this book uh, and trying to understand what was happening here at this time. But here you have this young church. So it's a young church that's growing. There's both Jews and there's Gentiles in this church. And while they received Christ and they were growing, they were excited over time, some people came from Jerusalem and said, no, 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 you guys don't understand. You didn't get all of the story that you need Jesus plus all of the, the Jewish heritage, all those things that, that we followed in the Old Testament that's what you need to do to follow Jesus. So we talked about circumcision and the diets and the holidays and the festivals and all of those things. Those, all those are part of the gospel. You need to take those and put those into your faith. And so it was a, a, a strong conflict for those Gentile Christians. What was the gospel? How do they need to live? And so we are picking up here at a very intense point here in, in Galatians, and we see this conflict between these two pillars of the church, Peter and Paul. So we're going to see what is this conflict about and how does it get resolved. But I want us, as we kind of look at this passage, to remember this, that Jesus died for you. His death was done out of love, and his death was intentional. 
His death was to put away these other ways of life and to give us a new life in Christ. To put away the way that the Jews lived, holding on to the, the, the rules of Moses, but to put away the ways that the Gentiles lived, the other idols that they served, or trying to make themselves right with, Jesus, with God on their own. He's saying to put away those things, those things have died, but now you are alive in Christ. The former way is dead, but now you live. And as you live in Christ, you live as a member of the kingdom of God. And as a member of the kingdom of God, there's no division. There's no separation, but we are one body. We're unified under Christ. And so for us to understand the gospel, to get in line with the gospel and to understand what it means to be alive in Christ, that's what we will try to do today. That all of this is because Christ died for you out of love. So as we begin, let's begin with a word of prayer. Ask for God to lead us in this time. Gracious Father, as we open up your word, uh, your word is rich and it is deep. And there is so much here to glean. And today we won't cover all of it, I know. But Father, may we look into your text. May we see your words and may your spirit be alive and lead us guide us and may our lives be changed as we study your word today. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, let's start with the, the first part about getting in line with the gospel. If you're not careful, if we're not careful, we can add things to the gospel and make it crooked. Paul here in this part of this, the story wants to make this gospel straight. And here's what happens. He, it begins with a conflict between him and Peter. Now, as I read the text, we're going to start in Galatians 2, verse 11. We'll go from 11 to 14, and you'll see the name uh, Cephas. That is the name of Peter. So I will refer to him as Peter, except for when I'm reading here. But uh, let's just see what happened here. Verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Okay, so we pick up the story in, in the city called Antioch. But just before here, even last week when we were uh, reading the story, it took place in Jerusalem. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 1, uh, Paul is going to Jerusalem. He's meeting with Peter. He brought along Barnabas and Titus, and he's meeting with Peter and James. And he's, they're just... Um, they're just getting to know each other, actually, in a, in a very real way. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing what they had learned. And we see here at the end of that passage that, that Peter and James gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They basically said, we have heard your message, and we agree with it. You are, you are um, 
you're like ordained now to go out and preach the gospel. Go take this gospel to the Gentiles. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Uh, bring them into this new family, uh, this new church that God has brought. And so here in this last chapter, we're in Jerusalem and everything is good. There's hugs and handshakes and they love each other. But now, in verse 11, we're in this new city, Antioch, and there's conflict. Paul is coming up to Peter and confronting him to his face in front of everybody. Like, what happened? Okay, what happened between Jerusalem and Antioch? Okay, so here's just a real quick history. I'll try to be brief. And you can read all of this in Acts 11. It's, it's all right there before you. But here's what had happened. Um, there was persecution in Jerusalem. Remember, Stephen was, uh, was killed. And so now the Christians there were saying, hey, we're, we can either stay here and maybe get killed ourselves, or we can flee. Let's go. So a lot of them spread out. They, they started fleeing Jerusalem, and many of them ended up in Antioch. When they got to Antioch, the Jews were sharing their, this, this new faith in Jesus, and many other Jewish people became Christians. Right? So it started in Antioch with Jewish people becoming Christians. But then uh, the word got out and more people, the Gentiles, became Christians. And so you have this church here in Antioch that's exploding, that's doing really well, full of Jews and Gentiles. It's wonderful. News comes back to Jerusalem and they hear about it and they say, let's send Barnabas to them. We love Barnabas. Barnabas would be a great pastor for them. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch. And he, does, he starts his ministry there. Now, by the way, just so you, for those of you who like geography and wondering where Antioch is, it's right on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. Now, those of you current with your current events, remember about a month ago or so, six weeks ago, what happened on the border of Turkey and Syria was that earthquake, the huge earthquake. So I was a little bit a ways away from Antioch, but where the aftershocks were felt was right in this, this city, Antioch. So just so you kind of know, those of you who want to follow along, that's what we're talking about right there. So this church is growing. It's being established. Barnabas comes from Jerusalem, and he's so encouraged by what he sees. He keeps preaching, and the church even grows more. Now there's Jews and Gentiles all in that together. And, and Barnabas says, this is so wonderful. I've got to get Paul. So he goes and finds Paul. He brings him back. Paul is so excited. He spends a year there. They preach. The church grows even more. This becomes kind of the new hub uh, for uh, the, the Christian church. In fact, right in this area, this is the first time that people are called Christians here in the city. So great things are happening. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, there's persecution. Persecution is still going on. James, the brother of John, one of the disciples, has been arrested by King Herod and put to death. That pleased the Jews that were kind of getting frustrated with these Jews that are converting into Christianity. And so he says, okay, I'll go get another one. So King Herod goes and gets Peter and brings him, puts him in jail. He's guarded by 16 guards, and he's going to face trial in the morning, he'll face trial. But if you remember that Bible story when you were little, what happens in the middle of the night? But the angel of the Lord shows up, breaks the chains, puts the, the guards to sleep, and lets Peter out. He opens the doors, opens the doors to the city, and Peter is free. He goes to where the church is gathered, where the Christians are gathered, where they're praying for him. And he shows up, and he tells them, I'm free. They don't even believe it. But he also says, but I'm going to get out of town. I'm not going to stay here. And so it just says that he went to another place. 
most likely he went here to Antioch, at least eventually. He shows up in Antioch because that's the new hub. That's where things are happening. Peter's there, or Paul is there, Barnabas is there. Uh, there's other people that are there. And so he shows up and he enjoys these moments, these moments of togetherness. Where for a Jew to eat with a Gentile, to enter a Gentile's house is like, that's not done. That's not the norm. But here he is. He's entering their house. He's having conversations with them. He's eating their food. He's blessing their children. This is a great time in Antioch that both Paul, Peter, Barnabas, all of them are in the same church, and it is good. But then some people come from Jerusalem. From the Jerusalem church, apparently, they're called the group of the circumcision, and Peter is afraid of them, and I would be afraid of them too. I'm sure they carried knives, and they were not pleasant people. And so Peter, hearing them and seeing them and kind of hearing, seeing their displeasure, their displeasure at seeing Jews who are eating baby back ribs and shrimp scampi, you know, like they're not, they're not liking that. Jews who are in the Gentiles' houses, Jews that are speaking uh, other languages, like, this is not okay with them. And they start to push back. And they go to Peter, and they push back at Peter, and I don't know what they said. Did they kind of explain, like, here's the, the law of Moses and you're not being obedient? Did they do that kind of thing? Maybe. Did they uh, say, hey, 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 Peter, here's the deal. There's a lot of people that are upset with, with this, and nobody's coming to Christ as long as you're sitting with Gentiles. Um, maybe he said that. Maybe they said, hey, we have, you know, a petition of 2,713 people that said that they are going to deny Christ if you keep eating with Gentiles. I don't know what they said, but whatever they said was very convincing to Peter for him to draw back from the Gentiles. He stopped going to their houses. He stopped eating their food. He stopped playing or blessing with their children and, and, and then just started bringing other people with him, going to those other Jewish leaders, even Barnabas, saying, hey, Barnabas, you we, we, we kind of crossed the line. We went too far. We got to come back. And so we've got to separate ourselves from them. And uh, if they're going to come and join us, then they have to adopt the, the laws of Moses, including the circumcision and all of that. If they're going to come and be in Christ with us, they have got to embrace our beliefs. And you can imagine what kind of pain that must have been for the Jew, the Gentile Christians there in Antioch. It was these great days. Barnabas and Paul, there's so much good that's going on. And now, now they're, they're being forced to become like Jews if they're going to have a relationship. And the issue here is that this is going to be the first church split. Right? The church was going to be split. If, if things were not addressed, there's going to be one group of, of Jewish Christians that are going to follow the, follow the theology of Peter. There's going to be another group that's going to follow the, the theology of Paul. And there's going to be two splits. And here, the beginning days of Christianity, as it's growing, it's already going to be divided and split. And so, Paul talks to Peter and confronts him to his face in front of everybody and says, Peter, you are wrong. You are dead wrong. You are not in alignment with the gospel. You're not in alignment with the gospel. 
The word that he uses is orthopodeo, which means uh, to, to walk straight, right? Think of orthodontics, to straighten teeth, right? Uh, he's saying you are crooked. You have taken the gospel. You've made it crooked. You are not in alignment with what Jesus did and what he died for, right? What he died for. At the end of this passage, we'll get to in a minute, but he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What he's saying is that, Peter, the way that you're acting means that Jesus' death was for nothing. It was for nothing. It was pointless. If you keep going down that track, that's what it means. So, Peter, you have to get in alignment with the gospel. And why did this all happen? It's because Peter was afraid, right? He was afraid from these people in Jerusalem. And to use language here in this, in this passage is that Peter wanted to justify himself by this group uh, called the group of the circumcision. He wanted to justify himself with people. And what Paul is saying is, no, you need to justify yourself with God, with what Christ has done. But he felt this pressure Right from these people, and in pressure in a good sense, we call accountability. That's good. Pressure in the the negative sense is peer pressure. It's it's people forcing us, putting fear in our lives, and forcing us to to live differently. And we know that. We know what that is about, right? We've experienced that. We've experienced this this pressure from other people to fall in alignment with them and with with their ways. We felt that different times in your life where you, you want to live for Christ, but you feel this pressure that you should curtail or hold back, you know, some of your beliefs or some of your, the ways that you act. You know, maybe you have somebody over for dinner uh, at your house and your normal custom is to pray, but you just like, oh, I don't know, they're not going to like it. And so then I, I feel like I shouldn't do that. And so we don't. You know, we, we understand this. We've been there before. But what... Paul is clear to say that Christ didn't die for that. Christ died for you to to have a new life, to live according to the Spirit, to be free to follow Him, to not be justifying ourselves by other people or other beliefs, but be justified by God alone. And so Peter here is, is on a dangerous place. I think Paul, what Paul would say is you have compromised the gospel, right? You made it crooked. You've compromised it. Compromising the gospel, what's that mean? It means to add, remove, or to change the gospel in some way. With, uh, the, I mean, the famous way we can look at it, this is with cults do this. Cults that, uh, that we know we hear about from time to time, they all, to, if, you, if you believe in Jesus but you change things, that's a cult, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're a world religion, right? But here are these cults that say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is important, but you have to follow our pastor only. Or you follow our, um, our scriptures, which are different. Or you have to be baptized in our church alone or doesn't count. Or whatever it might be, these are compromises to the gospel. And that's what Peter was doing. And that's why Paul was so adamant that this had to be addressed, So he says, we cannot compromise the gospel. 
We cannot change it. We cannot add to it. That, that Christ died, that we are justified by faith alone, not by anything else. So that's compromise in the gospel. But Paul later on says that we can accommodate for the gospel. Okay, so there's a difference between compromising and accommodating. Accommodating for the gospel is this. It's, it's to defer your rights and freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Okay, it's the word deference. Deference means to yield to someone's opinions or wishes out of respect for that person. And we do this frequently throughout life. So maybe you, you're going to pick up your parents, you're going to drive them to a, a, a doctor's appointment or the grocery store. You know that the fastest route is right down the street, turn on the freeway, and you know, it'll take you just a few minutes. But your parents, they, they want to take the side streets, they think it's faster, they think it's more efficient, they think it's better on gas mileage. And you, you could argue with them or you could just say, that's okay, mom and dad, whatever makes you more comfortable, we'll go that way. I'll defer to you, right? That's what we do throughout life. And Paul says it's, it's appropriate at different times to defer, to accommodate. Remember what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jews to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, so that I would win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. So there are times where it's appropriate for us to kind of accommodate for the gospel. But here's the point. Paul says, I do this for the gospel, to bring the gospel, to win them to Christ. Not out of shame and not out of fear, but how do I, how do I talk to these people in a way that they will hear? How can I talk to these people in a way that they will hear? It's not always the same. There are different techniques for different people, and we have to learn how to do that. But what we cannot do is compromise the gospel to change and to add it out of fear. So how do we walk in alignment with the gospel? We align our, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions to Christ. We know the gospel. We know how we're saved. We know how we are to grow in Christ Right? Not by checking these little boxes, you know, and like a to-do list. We don't grow by Christ that way. We don't grow in discipleship by little check boxes to do these things. We, we grow in a relationship. We grow through listening to the Spirit and, and sitting with Christ and, and walking with Him and hearing His voice and, and being in a, in a relationship with Him each day. We live by faith. The kingdom of God is one and is not to be divided. And whenever we feel ourselves being trying to separate or pull ourselves, we have to pay attention. Are we compromising the gospel? Right? So we want to be one with Christ. Right? So that's when we first see this. We see that Paul is addressing Timothy because, or, uh, Peter because of the importance of this issue. We have to be in alignment with the gospel. 
But he goes on and he talks about who we are, that we are alive in Christ. You are alive in him. Don't go back to the ways that you used to live. Those ways have died. Those are dead. You are alive with Christ. Okay, so here's what he says. Look at verse 15. He says, we, and I believe that's, that's Paul and Peter and any, all of the other Jews, right? But he says, for me, for me and Peter, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one is justified. Three times in that verse, he says, we are not justified by the works of the law. Instead, we are justified by faith. He says in verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. He's basically saying, but Christ has brought us together. If we eat together, if we're together, is that a sin? No, no, it's not a sin. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be the lawbreaker. Okay, here's what he means. If I rebuild what I destroyed, what had died, if I go back to my former way of life and I try to justify myself through following the law of Moses, if I try to, uh, to please God by going back to the, the way it was before Christ, then I'm a sinner. That's when it would be a sin. When I'm trying to go back to the way I lived before Christ, that's where the problems are. Then he says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. There's so much going on here, but, but Paul just saying again and again and again that we are not justified. We are not made right with God through following the law. Those things have died. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say, Lord, I need you to be my Lord and Savior, please forgive me for my sins, we are putting to death those things. Those things are nailed to the cross. They have died. So to go back and live that way is ridiculous. It's foolish. It's saying that Christ died for nothing. Paul says, I will not do that. Peter, we cannot do that. We cannot go back to that way of trying to justify ourselves before God. It won't work. Those are dead. They've been crucified. Instead, now we are made alive through Christ. Christ is not as made you alive. He lives in you. And you live this life now out of love because God has loved you. Jesus died for you out of love, and he's living in you. You are made alive. Do not go back that way, but go forward. And we go forward with unity. We go forward as one body, Jews and Gentiles, loving each other, glorifying Christ. 
those things have died. And he says it a couple different places. Galatians 5.24, we'll get to that in a few weeks. But he says again, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those things are dead. In Romans 6.6, 6, he, which he'll probably write later on, but he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is a theme that he will talk about later on and throughout these different verse, uh, passages and books, just saying that, that you have died. Those are dead. Just deal with it. But now you have been set free, and to be set free means you live different. You don't live to be justified by other people. You live for the glory of God. In Romans 6.13, he says, Do not offer part of yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness. In other words, don't offer your hands, your bodies, your thoughts, your mouth for sin. Uh, those things have been dead. Rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. Right? You are, you've been changed. No longer live that way. Now live and offer your body as an instrument of righteousness. Offer it to the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want, to live? You want me to live today? How can I glorify you? He talks other places about we are the aroma of Christ. That's how we live. When you live in Christ, you live to give your body to him, to, to love other people, to be this aroma for Christ. Because that you know we're not trying to be justified by this person or that person or any way to live. We are justified by following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he died for us. He loves us. So justification comes through Christ. And just if we, so we all understand and we get it, like what does it mean to be justified? It's, it's a theological term that we use a lot, but it's that instant that you put your faith in Jesus where he takes away your sins. It says you're not guilty, but even better than that, he says, but I'm, I'm not just taking away your sins and making you not guilty. I'm putting on the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm putting on Christ's righteousness on top in, in, in your life, in you. That's why that God the Father can look at you and not see the sins, but see Christ in you. You are alive in Christ. You have been justified. He's the one that justifies, not by the works of the law, not by anything we do. For the Jews, it was living according to uh, Moses and the, the Old Testament law. For uh, us, for Gentiles, it's trying to, however we want to justify ourselves before God, good works, doing good things. Those things do not justify you. You're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by what? Faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. It says early on in here, this passage, that we are justified. We're, we're brought into a relationship by faith. But in verse 20, he says, but I live by faith. I live by faith. So faith, just so we understand, it's that thing that brings us into the relationship with God. It's what we first do. We first put our trust in him. We step out in faith. It's what initiates this relationship with God. But faith is also the thing that, can, that, we, that, that we continue in in this relationship with God. It's not a one-time thing. It doesn't like just gets us into heaven and, okay, now I'm good with God. I don't need faith. 
But instead, it's the Christian learning to live by faith as well. Learning how to trust and love and be obedient to him each and every day throughout our lives. We begin in faith. We live in faith. We will die in faith. It's having that complete trust in him all through our lives. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end. So, so many people, they think just, ah, just faith is just what I need to get into heaven. Once I'm into heaven, I'm fine and I can live how I want. But that's not true. There, our lives are changed. We are alive in Christ. We live for Christ. Those who have faith, we continue in faith, right? Those who have been justified, we continue to live a just life. Those who have been made holy, we continue to be holy. Those who have been loved, we continue to love others. Those who have been forgiven, we forgive others. That's our lives, being alive in Christ. Saying, Lord, how can I love you? How can I show uh, my, my faith in you to this world? By serving you, by loving each other, by doing good works. What did I say? Good works? I thought we weren't saved by good works. You're right. We're not saved by good works, but as a result of this faith and being saved, now we live and we live out our lives in good works. It's a, a reflection. It's evidence of our faith. Because faith without good works, right, is dead. So those of us, we're not dead. We're alive in Christ, and we're going to live, continue to live and serve and bring joy and love what the Father has done. Love our relationship with the Son and love each other. You guys, the world, the world divides. Do we see that in our culture? The world divides. We love to divide. We just separate every which way. But in the church, there's not division. There's not. We are one in Christ. That Jesus has died to bring Jew and Gentile together. To bring us together, to bring us in unity, in love. But yet in the church, we still continue to, to fight and bicker. And we, we try to take these little things and make them big things. So when I, I look at, um, you know, this compromise and accommodating, like, we've got to learn how to do that. Because we take some things that we should just be accommodating and we make them compromises. Right? We say it different ways. People say, um, let's, let's use a holiday. We have Easter coming up. There might be some Christians that say, good Christians don't celebrate uh, the Easter bunny. We don't do egg hunts, right? That's not of Christ. Good Christians won't do that, right? That's, that's taking a little thing and compromising. Same with Halloween, right? Uh, oh, good Christians, we don't, we don't celebrate Halloween. You can't do that. No good Christians should do that. And so they make these dividing lines, you know, Christians shouldn't celebrate Santa Claus, right? If you have a picture of Santa Claus, you can't call yourself a Christian. Do you see, like, we, we take these things which are accommodating things. should be just like, hey, you just do what you feel is right, you know? These are not built on our salvation, right? These are the works of the law. Jesus is, you know, it doesn't, Paul didn't say that, um, you know, to you put your faith in Jesus and never celebrate the Easter Bunny or, or Halloween or Santa Claus or anything like that. But we make those things. We do it with politics, Good Christians have to be this party or that party. Is that really? Is that? I don't know. I've read my Bible several times. I've never seen it address the Republican or Democrat party or independent or anything like that. But yet we put that into our 
theology. We make those compromises. Instead, they should be things we accommodate. We just, just deal with it. Like, you're, you have a relationship with Jesus. You know what, uh, what, how you ought to vote. You deal with it. Think about it. Uh, pray about this. But we can be together in one church no matter who we vote for or what we vote for. We see it with schooling too, right? Christian school, homeschool, public school. We make these big dividing walls and say we can't separate, we can't, we can't mix. Public school and, and Christian school can't mix or whatever. But those are just, they're accommodating things. you got to do what's right for you and your family. You know where you live. You know what your values are. You know what your school district is like. You make those decisions. But in the end, we are one church, so we come together under Christ because we're justified under Christ, not how we vote, where we go to school, or what we celebrate. Of course, there are probably lines. There's probably some things, you know, that might be too far. But for the most part, we're not there. We bicker over these little things. So what do we look at today? We look at this conflict in the church that was a big deal. It was a big thing. Because if this didn't get fixed, we would have two different religions. This church would have split right from the beginning. But here's what I love, that, that Paul confronted Peter. And we didn't hear Peter's side of it, really. But we see throughout Acts and we through, see through his, his, gospel, or his letters that he got the picture. He got it. He said, you're right. You're right, Paul. I need to, to fix these things. I need to get in alignment with the gospel. I've got to stop justifying myself by other people. And I've got to remember that I'm justified in Christ alone. And so here's what I like, too, about this story, is that you, you see people growing at different paces. You have P- Paul, who, who grew quickly. Like, God spoke to him. He became a Christian. He grew in his faith dramatically, and he, was a, he just went and preached it. Now, he was not perfect, right? He had his flaws, certainly. But he was strong, and he grew quick. But then you have Peter, who, like, knew Jesus, you know, was intrigued with Jesus, then confessed Jesus, but then denied Jesus. And then was restored to Jesus and then uh, preached this great gospel. Thousands of people came to Christ. And then he drew back and then he went and, and met with Gentiles and, 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 and really brought the, the spirit to them. And then pulled back again and then, you know, brought back in a relationship. Like, he had a long journey. And probably most of us are like Peter. We have our moments where we really do well, and we have our moments where we slip. But if what's important for us is to come back to the gospel, that you have been justified by what? By faith in Christ alone. Nothing else, no one else will justify you but Christ. And let's live in that. And let's bring uh, the, the unity. Whenever we feel ourselves trying to build a wall, trying to separate, trying to pull back, we got to stop and say, what's going on here? Is this a necessary, like this kind of issue, a, a compromising issue, or is this an accommodating issue? And, and how do we live in this relationship with other people without separating? Christ is alive, and he's alive in you. And when Christ is alive in you, he brings you to the gospel. You are saved through the gospel, and we live in the gospel. We've been saved with faith, and we live in faith. Anything that pulls us away, we have to be very careful about. We have to look 
and see. And so we will find ourselves in conflict. There's no question. But let's remember to stay in alignment with the Scriptures, alignment with the Gospels. Let's be alive in Christ and let Him work in our lives. Amen?